Welcome to the Rebel Alliance Media Podcast. We're back with another episode. In the studio today, we got Pastor Nate and Chris. How are you doing today, Nate? I'm doing great. How are you? You know what? I can never complain. God is good. God is good, and the weather's starting to turn, so we're getting some nicer weather out here. It's uh, it's good. Jays are starting to turn things around. It's, yeah. It's, it's looking up for us. Well, <laughs> there was nowhere to go but up, so yeah, <laughs> things are okay. Wonderful. If you're listening to this podcast, we just want to remind everybody to like us, share us on Facebook, and if you're listening to us on iTunes specifically, give us a rating and a five-star review. That stuff really helps us. Yeah, for those of you specifically who are uh, uh, regular listeners, uh, just so you understand how much this kind of practically helps us, um, uh, the way iTunes works is just that the more uh, reviews you have and the more high ratings you get, uh, the higher up in the kind of list of things uh, as people are searching. So people search, say, Christian podcasts or Rebel or Alliance or something like that. Um, where we rank in terms of how things get ordered uh, are directly related to ratings and reviews. So that really helps. And then just on, on Facebook and, and Twitter and stuff like that, uh, just re retweeting or sharing or liking it just uh, the way Facebook's algorithm works it just reaches more people so suddenly you share the content and all the people who you are friends with who don't follow Rebel Alliance can see our stuff so it's just a very very practical way for you to help uh, grow our audience and uh, and grow this podcast a little bit so we really appreciate it yeah, and it's not that we want to get our names or our podcast out there it's we we just want the message of the things we're talking about the gospel of Christ to go farther and the quickest way we can do that is if somebody searches something like Rebel Alliance. There are a lot of Star Wars fans out there. Our podcast is going to get up. You never know who's just going to click on it and hear the truth of the gospel for the first time, right? Yeah, absolutely. And we're, and we're trying to be of some practical help to, uh, to Christians. And so uh, helping them and helping you engage culture with a biblical worldview uh, is uh, hopefully you're finding it helpful. And if you do, then hopefully somebody you know and love will also find it helpful. So thanks so much for being part of the Alliance that way. Wonderful. Well, let's jump right in here. Um, I got an opening question for you. And this is a little bit of a simple one this week, Nate. Okay. Shoot. What's your favorite beer and why? My favorite beer and why? Um, honestly, right now, my favorite beer is, is a pretty local one. So I'll tell you that one, but then I'll, I'll go one that, that maybe more of our listeners might know. So um, here in London, there's a local craft brewery called Toboggan. And Toboggan's Double IPA has been uh, my favorite for the last couple of weeks. It's been been really, really good. And we're right there. We're not in summer yet, and we're out of the winter months. So you get out of the stouts, but you're not quite at the light beers yet. Um, so an IPA is just perfect for this time of year. So the Double IPA from Toboggan is fantastic. Any of our local listeners, uh, go check that out. But I will say... Um, that probably uh, the other beer that I've really been enjoying lately is it's called Bone Shaker IPA. It's from Amsterdam. It's a great name. It is a great name. The bottle uh, or the can, depending on what you you drink, is uh, is good too. It's got like a skeleton riding a bike on it. It's uh, but it's a it's a really really good beer. It's uh yeah Bone Shaker unfiltered IPA and it's really delicious. So. Um, and why? Um, I, I've just really been enjoying IPAs uh, lately. And like I said, it's just uh, that, that time of year for them. Uh, I also like them because they're, you know, they're, uh, they're both from craft breweries. And I, I kind of like to support the little guy, <laughs> if, you, if you will. Um, but they're both just delicious, delicious beers. You choose, you choose the beer on the narrow path. Yes. <laughs> well played. I do well the complete played. opposite. Okay. So what's your favorite beer? My favorite beer, I, I'm, I'm a wannabe European. So mine is Heineken. Wow! Like I know I couldn't I couldn't that's, probably pick a less unless I said Bud Light I can't pick yeah. something more generic. You, you like the like skunky? I do I yeah. do I like a beer that 
I feel like it's almost bad, but not quite. And which is weird because I, I won't even drink milk if it expires this like this month. Like <laughs> I forget it. But beer but when it comes to beer. I like it just the last day it's possibly good. Yeah. And then I'm I'm all over it. No, we're we're sitting here talking about beer. It's it's probably worth mentioning. Uh, you know, Probably a lot of our listeners, uh, depending on what denomination you grew up in, uh, Christians get kind of weird about beer. Yes, I don't do. know if you've ever. You're a pretty hospitable guy. You have people from our church over and stuff like that. Is it is it sometimes awkward when it's like, do you want to drink and like, oh, what do you have? Do you, do you say beer's an option? How do you navigate that like awkward moment? Well, for for me, it usually happens where I like. I offer the beer and then remember that Christians are weird about it. Mm. So I'm like, hey, do you want a beer? Because that's what I'm having. And then I'm like, wait a second. They may not think it's right or proper where I'm just, it's such not an issue to me. Like, you know, right. so I don't even, it doesn't even come into my mind that there would still be a thing about it. Right. Um, so it's just, I, I find it, I just I always have a bit of a chuckle. I went to a church event a couple of years ago. And it was a birthday party for one of our great, great friends. And I remember everybody's ordering and I wasn't paying attention. And I was just like, oh, yeah, I'll have a pint of, I think, cream or something. And it came out and I was the only one. And I was like, they all think I'm the guy they need to pray for now. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sitting there like, I'm glad they're going to pray for me. But at yeah. the same time, like. I covet your prayers, like, but, but I, not about this. If I could, if I could at one point just have wished for like, you know, a real manifestation of the spirit just to do a, mir- a miracle, I would have changed all their Coke to like, you know, Bud Light. Right. Just been like, that's <laughs> Or right. all their water to wine. <laughs> Christians are notorious for ordering water, uh, lemon water in restaurants. So turn just, all their water to I, wine. I drink a lot of water. Just, just hope that one day that just happens just randomly, just to be like, thank you. And if, and if you're listening to this and, and you're wondering about that, we actually have an episode on this in, in our first Q and a, uh, podcast episode. It was episode number four. Uh, we talk about alcohol and what the Bible says about it. So if you're wondering about any of that, uh, go back, listen to episode four if you happen to miss it. And we talk about uh, why we don't think that the Bible actually advocates for uh, abstaining from alcohol. Even though I still probably wouldn't drink it if John Piper was around. No, be, no, that's completely. That's, that's I wouldn't even chew gum if John Piper was around. <laughs> I, I can't trust. I can't trust myself with <laughs> yeah, a stick of gum with him around. Exactly. Uh, but we we actually you mentioned Q and A. We're actually doing another Q and A today. Yeah. Um. So that's a weird tie in there. And um, I just want to say that uh, we really appreciate feedback. Uh, it's been been really helpful for for us and just uh, trying to make these podcasts helpful and practical for you. Uh, so we love getting your questions, and whenever we get to the point where we got three or four or five questions, and we can do an episode on it, uh, we'll we'll keep doing that. So we love podcast topic suggestions. We love questions coming in. Uh, this is what we're here for. We're here to help you look at culture through a biblical worldview. So if there's something you're wondering about, don't hesitate to shoot us an email or a message. Well, what's what? What's our first question here today, Nate? Well, the first question is uh, is actually a really really good one. Uh, we got this in from one of our listeners and one of our friends, and uh, they act, they kind of they want us to talk about death. But but here's the way the question is is framed. They were uh, having a conversation with some of their friends, and uh, this somebody told this person that it's actually unbiblical to get cremated, what? that they have to get buried, uh, because uh, you know. Uh, that's the biblical Christian thing to do. And then the other thing is that Christians must have funerals. So in the topic of death, we don't have to talk about it generally, but but here's the question. Is it biblical uh, to get buried instead of cremated? Is it biblical that you must have a funeral instead of not having a funeral? Be- before we even answer the question, can I just say the first response that came to my mind when, when I was being asked that is like, show me the verse. Yeah. There's like, you must do this. 
show me the verse then. Yeah, show me the verse. So like, if you can't show me the verse, then where are you getting this whole idea? So I just think that's very, that's just, that's actually kind of hilarious. Yeah, it, it is funny though, if you kind of trace this back, it, it's been a pretty uh, historically held view in Christianity that we have to be buried. It, it seemed very pagan uh, for people to be cremated or, or you know, done with any, done in any other way, um, which I mean, before we even talk about scripture at all, let's just think about this logically. So, are we saying so? Uh, the question came in when the question came in. Essentially, their friends were proof texting, talking about how um, everybody's bodies will be raised on the last day, right? That there is a resurrection of the dead, and you can't resurrect a body that is not there. So cremated, when it's all burned to ashes, you can't resurrect a body. To that, I would just say, really? <laughs> so your argument is that God can't resurrect a body. The God who spoke the universe into existence cannot raise a body that's been burned. So then you got to ask the question, well, what about all the fighter pilots who get blown up in the sky? What about the people who get trapped in fires? What and about the, the martyrs who were burned at the stake? The, <laughs> that's where I was going to go. All, like <laughs> more, So many of the reformers who got burned at the stake. Are you telling me that William Tyndale is not going to be resurrected on the last day because he was burned at the stake? Fire is the one thing God can't overcome. It's like, oh, he burned him. I'm, 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 I'm out, guys. Checkmate. I'm out. Yeah, like, checkmate. Come on now. Yeah, so, so this is just, it's, it's silliness, and I get where it comes from. It comes from the idea of, of believing wholeheartedly in a bodily resurrection, as we should. Scripture talks about that. But God is able, and, uh, and God is able to resurrect our bodies. And so one of the places uh, a lot of people go is they say, you know, Jesus, even in his resurrected body, he still had the, the holes in his hands and the holes in his feet and the hole in his side um, that the disciples saw, and then they believed. And so they look at that and they say, you are raised in, in the same state. And they, they seem to forget that Jesus also appeared in locked rooms, right? Jesus <laughs> appeared and disappeared. That Jesus on the road to Emmaus uh, showed up to the disciples and, and they didn't recognize him. So he somehow looked different. There's a whole lot of stuff going on with his glorified body that, that the Bible just doesn't give us great details on. So we can't take this one thing like Jesus still had holes in his hands and say, therefore God can't regenerate somebody's body if their arm was chopped off or if they were burned and cremated instead of buried or anything like that. So that's just, it's it's just not biblical thinking, and uh, it's uh, and it's not right. The, the, and the second part of this question is: Is it Christian to have a funeral? And uh, and the person who sent us this question said that they would rather just all their friends get together and have a few drinks and reminisce and laugh and 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 hey, that that sounds like the best kind of funeral there is. I uh, sign me up to do that funeral. But uh, no, no, there's nothing scriptural as well about uh, needing to uh, have a funeral. There's some direction in the Old Testament about how to dispose of a dead body and all that kind of stuff, but nothing that tells us how we should or should not specifically celebrate the passing of someone's life. So uh, you you can get all kinds of things. And I've done some I've done some tough funerals for uh, for one year olds. I've done some really joyful uh, funerals for you know eighty year olds who died in peace and lived a God fearing life. Um, but uh, Family preferences come into this, cultural preferences come into this, all that kind of stuff. The, the purpose of the funeral is not for the deceased. The point of a funeral is for the people who are left behind, so to speak, right? It's, it's for the family and the loved ones. It's for them to say goodbye. It's for them to celebrate a life. And so 
Um, the only thing I would say that's distinctly Christian about celebrating somebody passing away is just that, that we don't mourn like the world mourns. We don't mourn as those who have no hope. We celebrate the passing of a Christian much differently than we celebrate the passing of a non-Christian because we're confident of where, they've, where they're spending eternity. So I would just say um, these are some, some notions that uh, Christians have held on to that I just think is kind of unbiblical thinking. That's basically everything I would I would say too. If I happen to die, don't have a funeral for me. Have a celebration, and then tell the world about why I lived my life the way I lived it. All right. So, so preach fun. the gospel and and party. Par- party and preach the gospel. <laughs> Sounds, Sounds like good a great to me. Plan. Yeah. Sign me up for that one too. <laughs> I hope you don't go before me, Chris. But if you do, I'll be happy to do that for I'm you. Fairly confident I will. One, I'm older. Yes, I admitted that on the podcast. And two, I'm grossly out of shape. We're in your good shape. So like, my talk, my clock's probably ticking. <laughs> well, <laughs> then sign me up. <laughs> We got another question in here. Yeah. So what's our next question, Chris? Our next, our next question is a good one. It also comes from a, a, a listener on the, on the podcast. And they write in and ask us this. What is the real name of Jesus? Does Jesus come from Jesus? And if Jesus is the English version of Yeshua and Yeshua, or Yeshua, sorry, then why aren't we calling Yeshua Yeshua and or Joshua? Yeah. Uh, okay. Good question. Um, and I guess you could even say Im- an important question because Acts uh, 4 verse 12 talks about how there's no other name in heaven and on earth uh, by which men can be saved. So the name of Jesus, the name of our Savior is actually, it's an important name. Um, and I think that that has more to do with the object of our faith and the actual name we're calling them because we speak different languages and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I get where the question is coming from. And, uh, and I guess uh, just to fill some of our listeners in who might think this is a, a bit of a silly question, the, the Internet's a weird place, Chris. <laughs> The internet's a weird place. You can get some weird ideas on there. It's a scary place. It can be a scary place. It's also a great place. You can find great podcasts on there, like at rebelalliance.com. Nice plug. I thought so. Um, But uh, the internet's a weird place for a couple of reasons. There's there's some weird uh, teaching out there that talks about our Bibles and our modern translations being corrupt. And, uh, and and actually, there's some weird teachings out there in the corners of the internet that talk about how uh, the name Jesus is actually uh, a form of Hail Zeus. So Zeus, right, being the chief god of, of the, the Roman mythology, um, you know, Zeus, or Ju- it was Ju- Jupiter, sorry, in Roman mythology, same character Zeus in Greek mythology. So they thought that this was a very Greek notion, Jesus, he- which is how uh, Jesus sounds in Spanish. Uh, it sounds like hail Zeus, and so they they talk about this being a corruption of the translation, and how um, the name is actually Yeshua, which would translate as Joshua. So we should be calling Jesus Joshua um, because his name was Yeshua instead of Jesus. Uh, and and it's not nearly that exciting. It's not nearly that um, uh, kind of conspiracy centered. Um, instead, uh, the, the name Jesus is actually just the Greek form of Yeshua. So the Greek, uh, the Greek form of the Jewish Yeshua, uh, translate as, uh, Isuus, which is like Jesus when you add the J, cause there's no J. So it's, it's just the Greek rendering of the name. And so when we English, when we, when we apply English to the Greek name, it just becomes Jesus. So it's not nearly, it's not hail Zeus. It's not some crazy conspiracy theory. It's, it's just how you translate from Hebrew to Greek and then back to English again. 
see that that's kind of where I'm I'm coming out at this too. Like I, I think I think the problem is that people get hung up on this stuff, right? And where it's like, does does Jesus mean hail Zeus to you? And if that's the if that's the case, and you're thinking of it that way, then then maybe you should look into it and find another another word to refer to the most holy. Instead, Jesus just means son of God to me. Right. So I think of it as like, yes, that's exactly what I mean. He knows my heart. He knows what I'm, what I'm meaning when I say Jesus. Yeah. We're, like we forget that words change meaning all the time, right? Like think about the fact that the word gay, for instance, means happy, defined as happy. But we, when I say, oh, this is, you know, that, or this person is gay, it doesn't mean he's just happy anymore because the word has changed its meaning. Right. So even if the root, I don't know all the technical things, but even if the root of where we got the word Jesus from was he Zeus or something like that from, it no longer means that. It no longer means that to anybody who says Jesus. It means now the son of God. And so I think at that point, like the proper thing to be doing is having reverence for whatever we're calling God and have the right heart, the right attitude in terms of what you're meaning while you're saying his name because we're told very specifically not to, to take his name in vain. Right. So don't wiggle around about what's the, what's the technical legalistic word I have to use here because your heart condition of using of using the name is what's mat- what matters in this whole thing, right? Right, absolutely. And, and understand as well that the Bible was written in a particular language to a particular people. Um, it's not wrong for us to be reading it in our language. In fact, this was one of the great things this, that we're going to be... Um, celebrating the 500-year anniversary of the Reformation. This is at the heart of the Reformation was getting the, the, the Bible in the hands of everyday Christians so that they can read it in their own language. And, and um, remember, it was the Catholic Church who said, oh no, it's got to be in the holy language, it's got to be in, only priests can read it and interpret it and all that kind of stuff. Don't worry, the Pope will tell you what the Bible says. Um, and, and guys like William Tyndale, their big argument was, you know, the New Testament was written in, in the Koine Greek, the, the, the common Greek. It wasn't written in the high lofty academic languages, it was written in the language for the everyday people, meaning that the Word of God was supposed to get into the hands of everyday people. And, uh, and so we believe in a sovereign God, and it's amazing, and maybe we'll do a whole episode on this one time, maybe we'll coming up with the 500-year anniversary of the Reformation, we'll do something on William Tyndale and how many people died to get this Bible in your hands, but also just the way that su- God has supernaturally preserved his word. And, uh, and so a lot of the conspiracy theories that you'll find in the fringes of the internet that talk about corruption by, you know, pagan gods and all this kind of stuff in our language and everything um, that will apply, you know, that, uh, you know, the names of God have been corrupted or, or the name of Jesus has been corrupted because we've, we've brought in, you know, pagan god worship and, and language and stuff. It's, it's, really getting, it's really getting conspiracy theory-esque. Like this is, the, this is you know, you're about to put on the tinfoil hat kind of thing, right? And, and I would just say this, it, to your point, Chris, is that the w- w- Christians nowadays, we wear a cross around our neck, right? The cross was, um, in fact, uh, uh, Roman historians would say that no decent person would mention the cross because it was such an excruciating, in fact, the word excruciating comes from, it means from the cross. It means they invented a word for how horrible. I didn't um, know that. Yeah. They invented the word from the cross, excruciating, uh, to describe a particular kind of pain that came from crucifixion. Crucifixion was the most shameful, painful, public form of death you could uh, you could die. 
And it was so, so good civilized people don't talk about the cross. That's, that's what a, a Roman historian would say. And here we are as Christians, we are wearing it around our neck, right? The symbol of torture and death and shame, we put it around our neck. Why? Because to us, it doesn't symbolize a, uh, a torture device or something of public shame. In fact, it shows us where the world was shamed because our, our Savior hung on the cross for our sins. So it means something different to us. It's been reinterpreted. It's been put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory, if I can you know, use Pauline language from 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, it's something that's been won by Christianity. And so uh, we've reinvented what the cross means for us. And so we don't need to get hung up on origins quite as much as a lot of Christians do because um, you know the language means something. It, it's good to understand the etymology of words and things like that. But um, realistically, it, it's... It's about how things have been reclaimed and brought underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. Amen. So, Amen. I think we have a few more questions. We do, yeah. One, yeah. Two. Actually, I got a really, um, a really heavy one for you, Chris. Really heavy one, huh? Yep. So uh, one of our listeners, um, essentially, let me just read the question because uh, the way they word it, I think, is, is important for how we're going to answer the question. So uh, they're, they're asking questions about God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, which is a, a heavy topic. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and the question is this. Why would God, who has the ability to do anything, create humankind and save so few people throughout history? He could have created us all as God-fearing and loving people, but he didn't. And most people will suffer for eternity. We talk about how loving God is, but that to me sounds terrifying. Can you shed some light on this? Yeah, the, the really, really simple answer is for his glory. Um, but that isn't really answering the question as, uh, like in an adequate way probably to the listener. Um, so to be honest, it, it's a big, it is a bit, a bit of a mystery. We know Deuteronomy 29, 29 says that the secret things that belong to the Lord our God, but there are things that are revealed to us, belong to us and to our children forever that may... That we may do all the words of this law. So there are things that we we don't need to know this side of, you know, death, glory. basically. Yeah, yeah glory. Um, there are things that are just going to be mysteries to us. Right. Um, this, I think, probably— and, and I think it's probably worth saying there, too— this is because Isaiah reminds us that his ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. So exactly. I think it's, it's not just God keeping secrets, though he's God, he can do whatever he wants. It's that we honestly can't fathom some of the things that are going on in his mind. Well, exactly. He's just so far above us. We always, we always like personalize everything that's happening as if, as if we, like, as if we were the ones writing the story where the author of this story is controlling all of our stories at once. He's so far beyond what we can understand and comprehend that there's an extremely logical reason for him to do it, but right. we can't understand it because we're minions. We can't do anything compared to him. So right. I think I think it's important to always keep the center of whose story this is, and it's God's story for his glory, and we're pawns in that story, right? So um, I think that's a, a key thing to kind of keep at the center of, of this whole, like when you're at, like, why would God do this versus this? Well, you're not God, you're not God. And he yeah. gets to make the rules. So, yeah, I think, I, I think that is like the base answer. I, I think that I think, and, and as, as parents, we need to teach our kids that, you know, God is God. So he gets to choose, right? He gets to make the rules. I think there's a very, 
Now, I don't know that, that that's kind of intellectually satisfying for us. It's, it's true, and that's the answer Scripture gives. Um, here's here's a, a quick little analogy that I've used in, in counseling that I think might be helpful, right? So if, if I'm talking about a, a man who has a knife, and he's, and he's plunging that knife into the, the chest of a 12-year-old, and then I say, is that man evil? You know, most good moral people are going to say, yeah, that's evil, right? A, a man who's stabbing a 12-year-old. And I said, well, what if that man is a doctor, the knife is a scalpel, and the child needs open-heart surgery, right? Is that person still evil? Well, no, now he's a hero, right? What's changed? Context. And so I think sometimes we just, we don't have God's context. We can look at the bad things that are going on in the world and we don't understand how he's using it, but we have to trust that the answer the Bible gives is that he is using it and he's using it for his glory and for our good. That's Romans 8, 28. So we don't have God's context. If we did, I think we'd have a lot less questions because we could see, you know, what he's doing with the whole story. But Ecclesiastes reminds us, you're a vapor, you're here today, you're gone tomorrow. In the grand narrative that God is telling through human history, we have a very small, limited perspective. Um, I think it's helpful maybe for our listener, just here's the way that kind of Orthodox Reformed Christianity has answered the question in the past. Basically, God has created the world so that he gets the most glory. So that the, the John Calvin said that the the world uh, the universe is the theater of God's glory, meaning that the the point of the story is to show God's greatness, and to some that might seem egotistical, but the reality the way John Piper says it is, God's glory is the most satisfying thing to us. So the most merciful and loving thing He can do is to show us His glory because that's that's the thing that we are wired to be satisfied in, um, but. What what we would traditionally say is that, um, and Romans 9 is really where this kind of gets flushed out, right? It, uh, Paul says, what if, right? What if God is trying to both show, I'm paraphrasing here, but what if God is, is trying to show both his uh, greatness and his power and also his mercy and his love? Yeah. In other words, if God created everybody, as our question came in, as God-fearing, loving people, his justice and his power wouldn't be on display in the same sort of way. In other words, to see God's love and his mercy is to see one part of his character. To see his justice and his wrath is another part of his character. And if all people were saved or all people were condemned, then we wouldn't see the other side of God. And and that part is, is glorious too. So it's both in how he shows mercy to sinners and how he um, uh, extols the mercies of, of the only righteous one, Jesus, but also how he condemns the wicked and how he judges evil shows that kind of other side of the coin of God's attributes and puts his glory on display in another way. I get that that's not necessarily a really satisfying answer for, for uh, a non-Christian, right? They don't like that answer. Why is there bad things in the world? Well, so that God gets glorified. But the, the bigger view we have of God and the more we understanding we have that this is his story, not our story, he's at the center of it, we're not, uh, the more we understand that that's the right answer, that's the good answer. And wherever you go in scripture, that's the answer that's affirmed. Yeah, just to, if, the, if the listener wants to know where to go in scripture, I, w- I would go to Romans 9, yeah, like absolutely. T- 13 through 23, 24, 
basically explains that. And it actually, that part of scripture actually refers back to Genesis, or sorry, Exodus, my apologies, back to like, it mentions Pharaoh and that Pharaoh's purpose in, in earth was to show. Yeah. For this reason, for I this raised reason. up Pharaoh. Yeah. And if you think about that story, well, Pharaoh let, was, had, to, had had things happen to him to let the Israelites leave Egypt. And then what happens? Pharaoh chases them and gets destroyed. So both things are on display there, his mercy to the Israelites, but his wrath and vengeance against Pharaoh and right. the, and the Egyptians and I think I think the main thing to keep in mind in these in this that little discussion is that the Christians in the story the Israelites are the ones that got get what we don't deserve right and I mean we don't deserve God's mercy that, we don't deserve really his grace point. we all deserve punishment and we all deserve punishment I guess or his wrath but Christ in his, in his mercy, give us yeah. in his in his mercy and grace save some of us. You know what I mean? It's the miracle is that he saved any of us. Yeah. Not that he hasn't created all of us. Yeah. Right. So Amen. Yeah. Absolutely. Get, so that's that's how I would kind of answer it, and like hopefully that. Uh, yeah, and that and just to, <laughs> and just to give our, our listener just a little bit more. Uh, second, you said go to Romans nine. I would also say go to Second Corinthians one. Um, there's other places to go, right? You go to Isaiah 45, and God calls Cyrus, right, his anointed one, right? He's he's mm-hmm. raising up Cyrus, and Cyrus did some pretty awful things in history. He was good to the the Israelites by God's divine uh, uh, sovereignty, but uh, but he calls you know a wicked ruler his anointed one. He was going to use him. Uh, he go, goes on to say, I create darkness and I create calamity, right? So, but uh, I would also say go to go to 2 Corinthians 1 because there, again, a sovereign God says, it says that uh, he is the God of all comfort. So this isn't now just about the sovereign God and it's his story, not yours. So so quiet, oh man, right? <laughs> We're not given that answer now. Um, 2 Corinthians 1 says, you know, he's the God of all comfort who comforts you in, in your affliction and afflicts you. And and so it it says that the difficulty you go through is from God, but the reason he does it is so that you'll be equipped to help the next person who's afflicted in the same way you're afflicted. So this beautiful thing that God does with evil and suffering in the church is he gives you something um, difficult to go through that equips you to be of help to the next person who's going to go through it. And, And so quite literally and quite personally, the hardship that you endure, the evil that you endure in your life is given to you by God so that you become the kind of person who can help somebody else in your church, somebody else in your life go through that. So, you know, the the unsatisfying answer when somebody gets diagnosed with cancer is not, well, this wasn't God's will, right? Don't tell me that God is as surprised as I am that I got diagnosed with cancer. That's not helpful to me. What is helpful to me is that God is sovereign and he's giving me cancer so that he can equip me to help somebody else who's going through cancer and teach them to trust God in the midst of circumstances. So it's actually a very beautiful thing when we understand it biblically, um, but it it doesn't always make it easy for us to understand. That's a great answer. So Wonderful. Great questions. Those are great questions. questions. Yeah, our, our listeners uh, asked some some really great ones. Well, I think we have one more though, right? Yeah, we do have one more. And actually, this is a this is a really interesting one. Um, and I wanted to make sure we touched on this. Uh, so this is a, a friend of mine, and I won't name his name, but uh, uh, we've been having some dialogue. And this friend of mine isn't a Christian, and uh, and so we have obviously some very differing views. We we view the world through different worldviews. And, uh, and so one of the things that he asked me, which I just thought was profound, uh, was he said, you know, I, I 
like to think that everybody has a right to believe whatever they want to believe. And he says, the thing I don't like about Christianity, essentially what he's saying to me is, is hey, Christianity is great for you. <laughs> but what he says is, I, what I don't like about Christianity is the need for evangelism. Why do you need to push your views on somebody else? Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, that what a great question that is. As, as you know, anybody outside of the Christian worldview, evangelism looks like a pretty pushy, a pretty arrogant sort of stance. We're saying not only is Christianity right for me, but Christianity is right for you, and I'm going to push what I believe on you. That doesn't really fly in our culture right now. So how would you answer that question, Chris? Why, uh, if, if you're uh, talking specifically to a non-Christian, why do Christians need to evangelize? Well, I, I think it comes down to like the basis of what we believe. If I believe, that, which I do, that the Bible is the Word of God, that what is said in the Word of God is truth, therefore when Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through him, and we know from Scripture that those who are not in Christ suffer eternal punishment, the only loving and correct response for me to love my friend, to love my family, to love people who don't know Christ is to tell them about that. Right. I have good news that I have to share because there is bad news. And like, it's not just good news for me. It's good news for everyone who hears it because the problem is, is there is bad news. And that bad news is there are people who on the day of judgment will not know Christ. And he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. Right. And those people will have an eternity of suffering away from God. And I, and the only loving response as a Christian is to go out and evangelize the world. The analogy I read was if the entire world was an ocean and all of us were floating in that ocean, we could only sustain ourselves in that water for so long. And then everyone would drown and die. But if that in that ocean there was one rock, one mountain that penetrated out of the of the water, and there are people clinging onto that rock, wouldn't the loving thing be for those people who are clinging onto that rock to reach down and grab other people and pull them onto the safety? Mm. The unloving thing would do would be to watch them drown. And I think I think the problem with I, I think to answer the question, Christians don't do enough evangelism. We should be always sharing our faith. We should always be witnessing. And I realize that you, you can't walk around just throwing Bible at people all day long, but I'm saying like live lives that evangelize and spread the gospel at all times because the loving thing to do is to do that. And, and another really quick way I would respond to this. Now I would respond to this to more to a Christian who would say this because Jesus told us to, right? He says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to us. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey what I've commanded you. And now that was a paraphrase of the Great Commission, but we are told to make disciples. And the very first step of making a disciple is conversion. You, right. They have to become disciples of Christ to be made, yeah. to be They t- can't to learn teach. obedience without a regenerate heart. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You're not going to baptize everyone, right? Yeah. So that's my, that's my kind of quick answer. How would you, what would you say to it? Uh, what I, what I would say is what I, what I did say uh, very similar to what you said, you know, how much would I have to hate somebody, right? And you used an analogy, I, I used a similar analogy in that, you know, if I, if I was the only one in the world who knew about insulin, and you were a diabetic, and uh, how much would I have to hate you not to give you the cure to the disease that I knew you had? 
Like how much would I have to hate you not to give you the medicine you needed for survival? And that's the message of the, the gospel. The gospel is that sin has infiltrated and affected everybody in, in the world and that Jesus came uh, as the forgiveness, as, as the means by which we are forgiven of the sin that would destroy us. One of the verses that comes to mind is First uh, John 2.2, 2, right? It says, he is the propitiation of our sins. And propitiation is one of those big words, um, but it's, it's uh, a word essentially that, that means to, to block. Like that's where the, the etymology of the word here is that it means to come in between, right? So if, uh, if somebody was trying to snipe the president and the guy jumps in to take a bullet for the president, that, that's what that means. It's, it's to block some, uh, something that's coming in. It's to shield somebody. He is the propitiation for our sins so that we don't receive the punishment for our sins. That's, that's the, the point here. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world, the, right? So the idea here is that there is a safety there is a cure for your ailment, and that is Jesus. His death is the propitiation for sins. And so um, evangelism is, is not a, an arrogant Christian way of trying to make everybody think like us, but it, it's, it's really, and, and I guess you got to step into the Christian worldview to understand this for a second. So let me just say it this way. If what we believe is true, if somebody who dies apart from Jesus will spend an eternity separated from their creator in a place of torment, in a place of, of uh, godlessness, then how much would we have to hate you not to tell you that there is a solution for this problem? Um, if what we believe is true, then the most loving thing that we can do is to tell people w- this good news. And that's, that's where the word evangelism comes from. It's, it's the good news. And so um, we, we evangelize because we love, not because we're arrogant, not because we're beating people over the head with it. And that's, that's a good reminder for to us as Christians, right? We're, we're transmitting good news here. So if we're coming across as arrogant in it, then we've got the gospel wrong. <laughs> the gospel <laughs> leaves no room for arrogance because it means that you are completely helpless and incapable of saving yourself apart from Jesus Christ. So... If we're transmitting the good news in an arrogant way, we don't know the good news. So, Wonderful. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. hope that answered all your questions. Like you, we said earlier, if you have any other questions, feel free to, to post them on the internet, direct messages at our, at our um, Facebook page or on our website. Um, you can tweet it at us at therebelalliancemedia.com or at and then, or you can just, if you know us personally, feel free to shoot us an email or a text or anything like that. We want to hear from you guys because yeah. we want to, we want to be speaking about what you want to know. Yeah. And so we'd love to, we love to hear it. And we love getting the questions. And I know that it, uh, it fires us both up to know you guys are engaged and listening Absolutely. and thinking about these things. For sure. One, one question we actually did get, um, we're actually going to do this over the next uh, few episodes is just really simply defining some of the words we kind of throw out. You threw out one a couple minutes ago about propitiation. Yeah, hopefully um, I defined it all right you. Did, you. you did yeah. good. I was, I was very happy with that, pleased. Um, where they just want us to like, you know, throw out a few of the, the bigger terms, bigger theological ideas that we have and just briefly touch on what it is, 
and quickly why we believe it without getting into too much technicality. So we'll just kind of replace some of the Christian life hacks that we were doing for the next couple of episodes, and we'll just define some of these terms because we don't want to be talking over anybody's head. And just so you know, it's not because we're more intelligent or more educated or anything like that. Definitely not here. It's just because we we use these terms because we've we've, uh, come to embrace the theology behind them, and so they're an easy and quick way for us to reference a whole school of thought. But uh, but we don't want to be talking over anybody's head, so we want to make sure that you're right on board with us and understanding what we're talking about when we're using some of these terms. So so what do you want us to define this week, Chris? Well, Nate, we want to we want we've been asked to define what do you mean? What do you what does it mean when we say you're a continuationalist? Continuationalist. I can't even say it myself. Continuationist versus cessationist. That's yeah, okay. the words I'm looking for. Yeah. Um, yeah. You can tell how often we say the, the term, right? I, I never we, say yeah. that, so. Um, so when we say continuationist, and we talked about ourselves as as continuationists, um, uh, I would continuationist simply means that we believe in the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit uh, to uh, use Christians. Uh, in a way that uh, displays some of the miraculous gifts talked about in the New Testament. So when we talk uh, specifically about things like healing, right? Um, When we talk about prophecy, those sorts of things, um, those are gifts described in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, uh, Ephesians 4, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, some of these places where it talks about these supernatural gifts. To say you're a continuationist means that these things are still ongoing. The sovereign spirit is still sovereignly distributing gifts. Now, we would differentiate that from kind of uh, the term charismatic or, or hyper-charismatic or anything like that, uh, meaning that we, we don't believe that everybody has to speak in tongues in order to be saved, any of that kind of silly nonsense. We just mean that when we examine Scripture, we don't see any good uh, reason for us to believe that these things stopped. And that's what cessationist means. It just means ceased, right? That's where we get the term ceased. Ceased to exist, ceased to happen. Uh, That the uh, spiritual gifts, particularly the miraculous gifts of tongues, healing, prophecy, those kinds of things, have ceased. So continuationist, uh, we believe that they've continued. Cessationist, believe that they have stopped. And I would say that both quite honestly, both of those um, beliefs are differences. We could do an episode on why we're why we're continuationists, and we know some of our good brothers and sisters, right? We know our, our brothers over on the Two Thieves podcast. Um, they're cessationists, and, and we look forward to doing a, a podcast with them sometime where we can talk about that and reason together from the scriptures. <laughs> um, but uh, th- that's not to be confused with, you know, a charismatic. Uh, who, you know, charismatic versus continuationist. We, we think whether you're a cessationist, whether you're a continuationist, we're brothers in Christ, and we might understand Scripture a little differently. Uh, but there are some heretical cults out there uh, in the Word of Faith movement and things like that um, that, uh, that we would differentiate from, even though we would define ourselves as continuationists. That's probably more detailed than you were picturing for this segment. So I apologize. I'm not yeah, very good at being short-winded. No problems. We, I think we've all learned that. Yes. So. yes, yes. <laughs> you know that by now. No problems. Well, I hope that answers that question and uh, have a have a great week guys yeah thanks for t- tuning in